0: Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast presented by 444.com. I'm your host, Greg Smith, and the music on today's show is a song from one-man army called Rotting in the Doldrums off their 2002 album called Rumors and Headlines. Those just seem like the perfect confluence of song and album title to sum up what we're facing in fantasy football as we wait for the NFL draft to roll around in about 10 days. If you want to hear the full track plus all the other music from my episodes, check out the Team at B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. Today's program is a continuation of the best ball strategy session we started last week with TJ Calkins, where we covered running backs, quarterbacks, and defenses. This time around, however, we are diving deep into draft strategy for best ball on wide receivers and tight ends. And to help me, I've enlisted an old pal, Anthony Amico, of Roto Experts and DraftKings. Please give him a follow on Twitter, at Amixta, which is spelled A-M-I-C-S-T-A. Anthony, it's always good to catch up and talk some fantasy
1: with you. Welcome to TMAP. How's it going, Greg? I'm pretty pumped to be here, dude. Always good to talk to you. So uh, let's rip it, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah, and before we get into the best ball stuff, I want to talk
0: generally more about some news that broke recently. You know, free agency is kind of in the rear view in, at this point, but there have been some recent moves from teams that I want to discuss with you. The first is the impact of Brandon Cooks being traded from the Rams to the Houston Texans. There's not a whole lot of historic success for wide receivers changing teams but if there's anyone who might be used to it, it's Brandon Cooks, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been traded. This is, like, what, well, like the third or fourth time he's been traded, and he's been good, like, that first year every time. So he definitely is, like, a trend buster all on his own. It's a pretty interesting trade, I think. It gives us, I think, a pretty interesting dichotomy, like, between the two teams involved in the trade because this, like, really muddies the waters to me. For Houston, Cooks definitely has... Like history on his side. I, I, he could absolutely ascend to be the, the wide receiver one for Houston. But I think we have a pretty big question as to what does that look like? You know, what is the target distribution for the Texans going to look like this year? They have still Will Fuller, who is a somewhat similar player. They have Kenny Stills. They signed Randall Cobb. So they have a lot going on. And let's not forget that David Johnson and Duke Johnson, their two top running backs, are also excellent pass catchers. So they. Have, I think, a pretty jumbled target distribution if we're trying to project into 2020. Uh, but on the flip side of that, I think we get a lot of clarity in terms of the Rams. We know it's going to be Bob Woods. We know it's going to be Cooper Cupp, And We know Tyler Higbee probably after a, a late breakout in 2019, probably at least to some level is going to be legit and is going to maintain some target volume heading into 2020.
0: Yeah, that Houston receiver group is suddenly crowded again, and it could get worse if they add another one in the draft. So I'm going to assume that all of Cooks, Fuller, and Stills are going to remain high variance, boom bust type assets in fantasy, right? Like they'll be fine in best ball where you don't have to predict when it's good to start them. But in a seasonal league where week to week you have to set a lineup with these guys, like I am terrified of that right now. I suppose. silver lining for fantasy owners and and not for the Texans and not for this player in particular is that Will Fuller has had a lot of trouble staying healthy over the years so if we get the same old story from him you know I'm not hoping for that I'm just saying if it happens then I think Cooks and Stills and Randall Cobb all will have their value a little bit more solidified so it'll be interesting to see how that receiver group shapes up and I agree with you in LA Cooper Cup might now actually be worth his early fourth round ADP I, I wasn't really Excited to take him there. I understand why he was going there, but he wasn't a player I was necessarily targeting in that range. And Robert Woods goes from being a decent value to a significant value if his sixth round ADP holds. But I'm curious if the Rams might take a similar to approach of what I expected Houston to do, and that's draft a wide receiver. If that happens, what level of wide receiver prospect would make you worried about those tight ends and make you worried about say? someone like Josh Reynolds, uh, the current wide receiver three there for the Rams?
1: Really anybody on the first two days I think you'd have to look at and consider that they're going to see significant snaps. This is not a team that has a lot of draft picks in 2020, so I, I think from that perspective I would be slightly surprised if they spent a higher pick on a receiver, but it could certainly happen. It doesn't really seem like the Cooks thing dissolved because they were no longer interested in his production or his value on the field. It kind of just seemed like they just grew apart. From like a personal level, so uh, yeah, they, they could definitely replace him, and I think that anyone that ends up going to that team has to be a threat. I mean, we're really only just one season removed from them being one of the best offenses in football. Kind of think that they're going to get back to that next year. I, I mean, I know I know we're down on Jared Goff, but I don't know that Super Bowl hangover thing always seems to be a little real. And uh, but we know that all the pieces that are there, including the coach, that they have history of being productive. So I'm cautiously optimistic and cautiously buying. On the Rams this year. So does that
0: include the running backs? This is the last question I have for you on the Rams? Are you excited about Darrell Henderson and Malcolm Brown
1: now that there's just one fewer piece in that puzzle? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Henderson was my was my guy last year, so I uh, <laughs> I'd really like for him to avenge us all the wasted fifth round draft picks last year, <laughs> sixth round draft picks. So I'd many love... man, so many. Yeah, of those. <laughs> I would love for him to get us one back here and uh, have a nice year.
0: All right, well, on the running back front, the next piece of news is DeAndre Washington signing with the Kansas City Chiefs, and I had been drafting Damian Williams pretty aggressively in the fourth and fifth rounds of my best ball leagues, and it probably means there's something wrong with me, but my first reaction to this, this Washington signing, was, yes, please make Damian Williams cheaper so I can draft him even later, but even I have to acknowledge that the potential value of DeAndre Washington on the Chiefs is legitimate right he could be a very good player in that offense because Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback they have a bunch of great wide receivers and they have Andy Reid as the coach that tends to work for whoever the running back is as long as they have a pulse so while I'll still be willing to draft Williams where he's going I'm going to start mixing in Washington as a later round dart throw on those best ball squads where I don't land Williams I'm nothing if not a hedge artist how do you like
1: DeAndre Washington signing with the Chiefs? I love it. I love the whole thing because I'll tell you what, Greg, the first thing that it makes me think of is that the chiefs are not drafting a running back. Yes. And that is, that is the best news because that, like, that's the only thing, like that's the thing that's been hanging over Damien, I feel like for two years and like, I know last year they signed shady on um, like the, like the last week before the season and it kind of just ruined his year. He was a little banged up, et cetera. But like Damien's the dude. I mean, we saw it two straight years in the playoffs He's a really good player. I'm gonna I think what you're doing is great. Like just keep keep pounding him in drafts you don't get him or drafts that you go like a different direction early. Washington is an excellent play late. I I'm not really sure where the team stands on Darwin Thompson. He did come around a little bit late in the year in terms of like just being active, but it doesn't really seem like the Chiefs are quite as enamored with him as like fantasy Twitter. And Washington's a guy that has proven pass catching ability, played with Mahomes in college at Texas Tech. You know, there's always the potential that he kind of gave a coach a hey, you know, let's bring this guy in. And, uh, yeah, I think he's he's a high priority handcuff for me at the very least. Definitely someone that, that I would recommend uh, hitting on late. Well, and he did flash,
0: Washington did, in the limited sample size where he was starting for the Raiders last season. It's a very small sample. We can't read too much into it. But that skill set that he showed us could do wonders for this Chiefs offense or in this Chiefs offense, I should say. Now let's say the worst does happen and they still do draft a running back. Let's say somewhere between the third and fifth round. What does that do to William stock for you? Like how far would he plummet down your personal rankings of the running back position?
1: Probably a decent amount just cause like rounds, like round three especially is like the gold mine for running backs. You know, like obviously like first and second round I, you take the higher draft capital, but third round, I mean Russell Clay's done a lot of stuff on this. Like the third round is still really good in terms of outlook. You know, round four, round five, we have kind of like an Aaron Jones kind of situation where the guy has to legitimately be pretty good, and we just find that out over time. But yeah, I, I don't want them to add anybody to this backfield. I feel like if they do that, you have to you have to assume that they're looking to get someone touches.
0: Yeah, I agree. So let's hope that this DeAndre Washington is that omen that we were looking for for Damian. We really appreciate that. Now let's get into some best ball talk. I want to talk first more generally about one of your personal favorite strategies. And I don't even know if you use this zero RB approach very much in best ball formats, but I know that you have been a champion of it in years past. So when it comes to best ball drafts, when the offseason is said and done, what percentage of your teams do you think will have started wide receiver, wide receiver
1: or wide receiver tight end? I mean, at least fifty percent, probably closer to seventy-five percent, depending on like where the ball bounces in terms of like where I pick and stuff like that. So
0: you are still hammering the zero RB strategy even in best ball.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I've written about this. Like, I think that in best ball, people assume that you can't use zero RB because there's no waiver wire, but the tenets of, of zero RB are just anti-fragility capitalizing on chaos, capitalizing on uncertainty. And I still think that that applies to, you know, depending on the site that you're playing on, like an 18 to 30 round basketball draft or football. I still think it applies. I think if anything, it probably applies even more in 2020 because I think that there's going to be a lot more unpredictability, a lot more chaos given, you know, all the stuff with coronavirus and, you know, what the heck is training camp going to look like and when's the season going to start and all that stuff. So I think I think this is like the I have been saying I mean maybe I've been saying this every year and I'm just wrong, but like this is just a good year I think to slide into the skid a little bit more, and uh, goes your RB. Yeah, I'm not a high
0: volume best ball drafter by any means, but I've almost always got at least one of them going at this point, especially now. Like you said, we don't really have a whole lot to do in our day to day lives, so might as well you know fire off some draft picks here and there. And I looked back at the drafts I've done, I'm at zero percent so far. I don't have a single team that hasn't taken running back in the first two rounds. I do plan on changing that up as my early round running back exposure starts to sort itself out a bit. But what about if we go even even deeper into the draft, what about drafts where you start with no running backs through the first three rounds or more? How often do you see yourself doing that?
1: Probably a similar answer, honestly. I mean, for the most part, if I, if I'm drafting in a position where I think I should take a running back, I'm going to do it. And other than that, I'm, I'm probably not going to take a lot of running backs early, especially this year where it seems like the ADP is, like, really skewing running back heavy. Yes. And we're back to getting, like, receiver 12 at, like, the 3-4 turn. Like, that's those are usually situations that I really like. Now, I feel like I said the same thing last year, and then by the time the season came, that had adjusted a little bit. So that, that could happen again. But, uh, you know, for the most part, if I can't get one of those stud running backs with, like, a top – Three or four pick, I'm good with just with just doing it and and committing. I'm I'm big on commitment. I'm big on uh, sticking to the structure.
0: Yeah, I guess my issue is that I feel like I can still have a wide receiver heavy draft while taking one running back in the first two or three rounds. Some people would call that a modified zero RB approach, right? But I, I guess in terms of why you believe true zero RB, you know, sticking to that structure is a viable or potentially successful strategy, do you feel there is a negative cost associated with picking that one running back in an early round modification? Because we know what the positive return potentially is on landing, you know, running back in those first few rounds. It's, it's getting a bell cow at the position, and that's really valuable. So I guess, in other words, what I'm asking is how valuable or important to you, is that rigidity in following the requirement, quote-unquote, of not picking any running backs through the first four rounds, five rounds of a zero RB draft?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't even say that there's a negative outright cost. I, I think it's probably more—I would look at it as more of a hedge, just because I think that when you, when you draft a running back early, like you said, the positives are, are noted— I, I just think you're tightening your range of outcomes a little bit. And this is kind of where, like, the contests you're playing in matter. Like, if I'm playing, like, the last couple of years, draft has done those, like, big tournaments. Yeah. If you're playing if you're playing in one of those, like, I'm going to zero RB a ton just because I feel like I'm going to have the teams that, just, like, just, they'll just do nothing. You know, like, I'll, I'll never find a running back or receivers will get hurt or whatever. But when it breaks right, I could probably win the whole thing and have, like, a pretty unique team because not a lot of people are going to draft that way. If you're playing in, like, a 50-50 situation, like, probably doesn't make sense to do zero running back almost at all. There's not, like, a lot of upside to be gained. So I think the contest that you're playing, in definitely matters. In terms of, like, being rigid, I don't like to consider the way that I draft rigid in the sense that, like, I don't want to be adaptable at all. I just think that structure is generally the most important thing when drafting, just because we're going to make a lot of mistakes with player evaluation. So to me, it's not it's not so much like I'm going zero or B, and it doesn't matter what happens. It's more of just identifying the plan prior to the draft and saying, listen, like we stink at player evaluation, but these are these are areas that I have projected like a wide gap. Like between ADP and the projection, like this is like these are my biggest gaps. Like these are running backs that I actually would consider taking. You know, and those are guys that maybe you break your strategy for. Or that the biggest thing for me is just that starting position in the draft and like the volume of teams that I'm gonna play. Like again, like if you're only playing a few teams, like draft however you want. Sure. But like but like for me, like if if I'm drafting a ton of teams, if I'm gonna draft like fifty teams, hundred teams, whatever it is. I'm not gonna pass on the opportunity to get those running backs early because it's the only time I'm gonna get them. Like if I get the one, I'm not gonna take Michael Thomas just because so I can be a zero RB. Truth there. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Christian McCaffrey because he's the best player on the board and I know it's the only way I can get him. And I will kind of adjust from there, you know. And if you pick towards the middle, like kind of who you get will dictate like the the rest of the draft for me. But it's like when I pick towards the end, I know all these all these top running backs are gonna be gone. Probably starting receiver, receiver or receiver tight end. Yeah, you know, so I, I honestly, most of that is just coming from where I pick, but I try to stick to a structure just because I don't want I don't want to make too many large stands uh, from ADP in terms of like my player portfolio.
0: Yeah, I like that subtle distinction you make between a rigid structure that you are always going to adhere to and a planned structure based upon which pick you draw in the first round and going into a draft understanding that if I have a pick in the back half of the first round, I believe based upon my research, Anthony Amico, that I'm going to get more value in more drafts by taking two wide receivers or three wide receivers to start that draft from that draft position. Uh, But in general, I, I do think that rigidity, like full true rigidity and therefore a strict adherence to the zero RB mantras are not optimal in a best ball draft. I would rather be best at reacting to the market than predicting the market. If only because like you said, the market of, of fantasy football draft is inherently unpredictable. I, I want to be able to adapt in draft. And that's why I still, when I'm drafting best balls tend to prefer the slow pick timers the, you know, the six hour drafts, the eight hour drafts so that I mean, most of the time, I'm paying attention enough to when I come up on the clock, I have a pretty good idea of which you know three to four players I'm considering. But there are occasions where I'm just going to go deep in the tank and sort through a lot of different tabs on my internet browser to figure out which player I want. And I appreciate having that ability to be flexible in the moment when I'm on the clock. And I think that that's kind of the most important part for me. Uh, But let's move on. I want to talk Uh, about another question that came in from Chris Allen. I I posed this to TJ Calkins last week. I wanted to get your take on it as well because I know you do a lot of work with prospect modeling. So Chris asked, how does your experience in dynasty port over to best ball? Are there any key takeaways in terms of rookie hit rates that you want to share with the listeners? I've noticed you've done some research over at Roto Experts with machine learning on prospects, both for wide receivers and running backs. And I know on Twitter, I've seen you tweet a little bit about breakout age as, something that you're looking at with running backs. Do you want to dig into that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I, so the the biggest thing for me, and this is why I think some of this research will uh, you know, flow nicely in a best ball, is that most of the stuff that I'm doing is looking to see the probability that a player is going to reach 200 or more PPR fantasy points in one of their first three seasons, at least one. Now that to me is pretty valuable because if a player does that, he's obviously going to provide and return a lot of value to your fantasy team. Now, he's especially going to do that if in year one or year two, this is a player who, you know, disappointed with opportunity, maybe didn't see opportunity. So, you know, looking back at these models definitely gives me a chance to find potentially some breakouts, guys who can be league winners that you can draft late. You know, every year we look at these win rates, most of the time the guys who have the biggest win rates, the guys who are, you know, mid to late round picks and end up having this like, you know, awesome season. They're not necessarily like a three hundred point season, but like a top twenty four or a top twelve season at their respective position. So that's kinda like that's kind of what I'm interested in the most. In terms of uh receivers and running backs, honestly, like breakout age is is the ticket for me. It's one of the highest terms in both my models. By the time this is out, honestly, though the post on Roto Experts will probably be up uh, detailing a little bit more about running back breakout age and uh, my updated running back model with age and breakout age as a, as input. So I can talk a little bit about that here, but we want guys who break out at at young ages. I mean, those are the players that usually end up being pretty good. It's, It's shown at both receiver and at running back. And I think that at running back, because opportunity is so important, the projecting those breakouts might actually be a little bit easier than at wide receiver. I really just want, you know, someone that we like all of a sudden he's getting opportunity. You know, like you mentioned Daryl Henderson before Daryl Henderson was the top running back of my model last year. Uh, so, you know, I'm looking at Daryl Henderson as okay. Like this guy completely burned me last year, but he burned a lot of other people too. And I think as a result, that means that if he's the starting running back for the Rams, we're probably going to get him at a lower cost than we would have otherwise. He still has all the same upside that we thought he had last year. Similar at receiver, the only difference is that at receiver, it's like we're not 100% sure if the player is good. Volume is important, but the volume is not as easy as just like handing the ball off. Uh, so you know, guys like Nikhil Harry, for instance, who really disappointed last year. You know, he's someone that I had uh, in my receiver model, 38% chance of success. Well, like, what do we really think about Nikhil Harry? You know, like we kind of have to think about that a little bit, and certainly price matters. So. You know, I think for the most part, I'm using a lot of these models to, to see if I can find uh, guys who still have decent chance of of returning value, uh, but getting those guys late. I really don't want to. I really don't want to like double pay for a guy that like I would have bought last year, didn't do anything, but is still being drafted highly again. We have those guys every year. Also, uh, I'm really looking to acquire as many players as I can from these lists that that are coming like late in drafts. You know, my running back five. Uh, My wide receiver 6, my wide receiver 7, tight end 3, if I'm I'm into that. like Those are the kind of guys that can win you your draft.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Because we can look at Jonathan Taylor, and it's easy to project him highly in best ball because we expect significant draft capital to be spent on him in the NFL draft compared to other running backs in this class, that is. But deeper down the rookie running back ranks, there's a lot more uncertainty in regards to landing spots, and it's rightfully pushing those players down in ADP. But... Once the NFL draft does happen, once these guys are locked into a spot, we can see that opportunity start to materialize for them in our little crystal balls, right? And at that point, their draft stock is going to go way up. So I guess my big question for you is, if you're looking at these incoming rookie running backs now pre-draft, how do you figure out when it's correct to take them in a best ball? Like, I'm looking at your most recent running back model article over – at Roto Experts, not the one that you were, you know, teasing earlier, but the one that's currently posted, and you had Zach Moss earning a forty percent hit rate, while Antonio Gibson's is only about twelve and a half percent. So, how does that inform where you would be willing to pick those guys in Best Ball before their landing spots are known?
1: Well, as part of the tease, I'll let you know that they're a little bit closer in, in uh, phase two. Ooh, okay. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, so it's a really good question. So, like uh, to me in general. Those are the guys that you're going to gain the most equity with between today and, like, two weeks from now. Yep. Because, like you said, like, everyone knows to draft Jonathan Taylor. Like, if he's the RB 14 today and he's the RB 8 in two weeks, like, you're, you're going to gain a little bit of equity on that, but not a lot, right? But these guys, like, these other players, you know, they're going, they're going much later in drafts, you know? And I think that, uh, for instance, you mentioned Gibson – uh, who is a guy that I that I kind of like? Like Gibson not even on the ADP list at four for four. You know, like he's being drafted so late. Like he, he's a guy. If you got your last running back, Zach Moss, running back forty six, even Clyde edwards hilaire running back thirty three. Like these are players who, like in two weeks, they go to the right team. All of a sudden, they're being drafted as top twenty four running backs. You know, they go they go day two to the Bucks and a day two to. Uh, you know, some other team that needs a running back. like that, Like that. That's kind of like Atlanta, maybe. You know, you don't think Gurley lasts for a long time. Whatever it is, these are the guys who have the best chance to ascend because for the most part, we know who all these other players are and how they fit into their current situations. The rookies are the guys who are going to have the biggest delta between now and August, outside of, like, injury situations, you know, stuff like that. So uh, the best way to play it if you're drafting now is just to be really aggressive on some of these running backs. You know, you don't want to have backfields that are maybe exclusively – rookies but uh, if you get like one or two of these guys in every draft and you get them late that those are teams that in two weeks you could be looking at and being like wow i really feel good about this team now yeah and i feel like what
0: your running back model can do is help us break ties between some of these players like you look at how highly zach moss ranked in your last iteration of the model It was honestly a little surprising to me to see some of the names he was ahead of, other players who are being drafted higher than he is. And so that would make me believe, okay, when it gets to those later rounds, I am going to try to target Zach Moss a little bit based upon what Anthony found in his research. At the same time, there's value to differentiating and going with a shotgun spread approach and taking Zach Moss here, Antonio Gibson there, Edward Soler in a different draft. Because again, like you said... All these guys have the potential to jump up, but not all of them will, right? If if I invest only in Zach Moss as that type of commodity and he ends up getting drafted by some team that already has two running backs on it, like if he goes to, if he ends up with the Rams, like th- that's not great for him because then he's competing with Malcolm Brown and with Darrell Henderson. I, I don't really see the value spike for him like I would with a player going to Tampa Bay. And so you want to get as many bites at that apple as you possibly can of which rookie is going to end up being the Tampa Bay running back this season. You know what I mean? And maybe it ends up being Jonathan Taylor and it doesn't matter. But that that's the sort of calculated risk you're taking when you go after these running backs who don't have a landing spot known at this point, right?
1: Absolutely. Completely agree with everything you said.
0: Anyway, let's get into wide receivers, and I want to start not at the top of ADP. I want to start with someone who topped your wide receiver prospect model. The guy who your model spit out as the highest prospect of the wide receiver position over the past few seasons is Corey Davis. First of all, do you still believe?
1: It's so hard. To, it's so hard to say that that I actually believe. <laughs> it's so hard to say that. I thought. I thought in year two we were going to get the breakout, and it looked like it was happening. Uh, But then he regressed last year. He was dinged up a little bit. Obviously, AJ Brown basically completely usurped him. So I'm not sure. I believe. I think I might believe at cost. You know, like I I think I'm probably still willing to draft him. But like right now, I'm looking at Corey Davis like just a complete anomaly. I've never seen a guy that the film and the stat guys both loved, and then went in the top five in the draft, and then just like didn't do anything. Like I've never seen it before.
0: Yeah, I mean, for the record, he is very cheap. Like you said, the price might be right now. Since free agency, his ADP in best ball 10s is around pick 200. That's a 16th or 17th rounder. He's the wide receiver 75 in that format. And as you noted, while Davis's flame is smoldering, A.J. Brown is generating enough heat to power Nissan Stadium. And it does make sense because last season, in both FFPC and fanball best ball leagues, Brown was top eight in win rate among late round picks. But the price for him has gone way up. He's currently the wide receiver twelve. In four for fours, best ball ADP just behind Amari Cooper, DJ Moore, Kenny Galladay, and Odell Beckham Jr. That's pretty elite company there. So, do you think AJ Brown is worth that sort of late third, early fourth round investment in drafts?
1: I'm saying no. I, mean, I would probably have him closer to 20 than 12 in terms of receiver ranking. Just because to of to the state of the offense. I mean, this is still a team that wants to run the ball first with Derrick Henry. That was obviously incredibly effective for them last year play actually Ryan Tannehill I think that they'll continue to do that they bring pretty much everybody back including the coaching staff Uh, and Brown averaged only 6.25 targets over the second half of 2019 seven and a half targets over the final four weeks so he was excellent but really was living off of unreal efficiency I really need to see more volume before I feel comfortable investing you know that much in him
0: yeah I totally agree there's some significant regression that feels like it's due not only for him, but for Ryan Tannehill as well. They were both just playing out of their minds in the second half of last year. And I, while I would love to see it continue, that'd be a cool story. I just don't know if I can bank on that when I'm picking these players. I I guess what really worries me about A.J. Brown is I look at what he did last year. I look at where he went and how he succeeded in terms of win rate. And Devonta Parker was even more successful than Brown was. So I can't reconcile A.J. Brown being drafted where he is versus where Devontae Parker is being drafted now. Why do you think there's such a big discrepancy between these two guys who broke out last year?
1: I think it's a flashy new toy syndrome. You know, like, uh, Brown did it in his rookie year, so we're just assuming that he's going to continue to grow, whereas Parker went, I mean, what was it, like year four or year five last year that he finally broke out? Like, I think people are probably just less apt to believe that either what he did is legit and or that he could still progress from where he is, but I'm with you. I, I don't agree with that sentiment. You know, I think that Parker is definitely someone that you should buy. He's worth believing in. You know, especially given the current cost, quarterback situation probably is only going to get better. So I, I'm in on I'm in on him.
0: Yeah, and I think at this point it kind of makes sense to circle the discussion back to Corey Davis to try to contextualize how we think about wide receivers in Best Ball based upon these test cases, right? Corey Davis is disappointed while his teammate A.J. Brown spiked in his rookie season, so it's no surprise that Davis is plummeting down fantasy rankings while drafters are chasing points with Brown. But before Corey Davis couldn't deliver on his early career hype, Devontae Parker was the same type of player down in Miami, right? And now Parker has finally popped. See also, you know, Brashad Perriman in 2019- This same sort of post-hype breakout could be in the cards for a guy like Corey Davis, or maybe someone like the guy you mentioned earlier, Nikhil Harry. These aren't one-to-one comparisons, but you can see this spectrum with the wide receiver position where, depending upon opportunity versus efficiency, you can make a case for these guys to be ranked higher or lower than where they're going in drafts. Ultimately, there are all sorts of these little sliders and knobs on all the inputs for what matters at the wide receiver position. And in best ball, we do want to go full spinal tap, you know, turn our fantasy outputs up to 11. I I don't know. I I just, I see this as a, a really good illustration of wide receiver value across like the full range of a draft, right? Not just looking at the top guys, the second tier and so on. It's like, We've seen guys ascend from the low ranks up to the high ranks in the blink of an eye. And then we've seen the opposite. We've seen Corey Davis's stock completely fall out from under him. Keep that in mind when you're drafting. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Absolutely.
0: So uh, anyway, let's get to some of those players at wide receiver who we already know kind of score 11 out of 10 on the scale. Among that tier of the position, who are the biggest bust risks to you? from these alpha wide wide receivers. We're looking at guys like Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Leo Jones, Chris Godwin.
1: All of those guys are going in the top 20 overall. I'm going to be honest. I kind of like all these guys. Like I, I mean, whatever. Like I, I don't know how much I'm really drafting Hill, but it has nothing to do with him being a, a bust risk in best ball. Like, he's really ideally made for best ball. If I had to pick one guy out of that group, I guess it would have to be Julio, just because he's older and he has a propensity to maybe be a little dinged up. In the lower half of his body, but I don't really have an issue with any of these guys. Value wise, I think that they all have shots to produce at a high level. I think it's difficult to see the path of failure. Like that's always that's, I think that's like more the thing that you want, right? Like when you're a drafting a yeah. guy with high ADP, like like what are the paths to failure? How can I find them? But like Thomas he's so much volume, you know. Same thing with Adams. Uh, Hill is like that dynamo, best ball guy. Julio like, leads the league in yards every year, I feel like. Godwin, to me, is is a lot more insulated with Brady there and, and being able to play out of the slot and stuff like that than Evans is. So I really like all these guys. Hopkins, I guess you could argue changing teams is is a risk, but I would probably argue that that's a little, at least a little bit canceled out by still having an excellent quarterback, still being part of an excellent offense, uh, and being coached by an excellent coach. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm hesitant to really... Say anything bad about any of these guys.
0: I think for that reason, the answer for me is Michael Thomas. I'm not saying that he won't be valuable in a vacuum. I'm just not convinced that he should be head and shoulders above these other top whiteouts. The Saints signing of Emmanuel Sanders tells us that they probably don't want to overload Michael Thomas with 180 plus targets again this year. So if, say, the volume for Thomas in 2020 falls back towards the 150 target range we saw for him in 2017 and 2018, there's a chance that maybe he gets unlucky with his TD rate and that would make him fall outside the top five wide receivers. And to me, that would make him a relative bust considering his wide receiver one overall price tag, right? Like I can pass on Thomas in the first and still maybe get Julio or Godwin in the second. I think that That's the biggest risk here among this group is just that if you're taking Thomas, you have to take him as the first from this group. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. All you can go is down, right?
0: (laughs) Right. Now, after the top tier of wide receivers, we get into that A.J. Brown territory I described earlier, which includes Allen Robinson, who was top 12 in win rate last year, both in FFPC and Best Ball 10 leagues. But the price has gone up from a fifth or sixth rounder on Robinson to a third rounder this year. He's essentially swapped places with Adam Thielen from last year's ADP to this year's. And I think they share a lot of similarities as fantasy assets. They're both clear number one targets for their respective offenses. They have identical career marks of 9.1 yards per target and 13.9 yards per reception. And both have dealt with some injuries in recent seasons. So do you think that the cost disparity between
1: A-Rob and Thielen makes sense? No, I mean, it makes zero sense. I mean, I think that, if anything, I would say that Thielen should be higher He's the one that has the better quarterback play, and uh, I don't really see them being dramatically different offenses. Chicago and Minnesota in terms of pass rate. I mean, perhaps the Bears, by virtue of being a little worse, will throw more, but their defense is really good. Like they probably keep a bunch of games close. So yeah, I mean, I, I would, I think I would even argue that maybe Thielen should be going before A. Rob. Uh, I certainly would not vouch for this wide of a cost disparity. Yeah, to
0: me, they're essentially the same player in fantasy terms, right? Like what they're going to produce is going to be very, very similar in my mind. So I I agree. The gap should not be that wide at all. I think I still might rather have Robinson based solely on the fact that he's a younger player. He's three years younger than Thielen, almost exactly three years, actually. If I had to make the case for Thielen, I would, you know, you took the words right out of my show notes. Cousins as his quarterback is a a big boost, right? Uh, I, I saw a tweet from Pat Thorman today Cousins ranked top seven last year in PFF's passing grade, completion percentage, yards per attempt, touchdown to interception ratio, NFL passer rating, PFF passer rating, deep ball passer rating, and passer rating under pressure. So Cousins was highly, highly efficient. And even if the volume isn't there, if Thielen is his top target in a highly efficient passing attack, then that's only going to be good for fantasy. The big question for me is whether or not Thielen can stay healthy. And based upon that slightly advanced age versus Robinson, I think that's why I'd still rather have Era. but I ultimately agree with you. I think these guys are are really, really close. And to Robinson's credit, even though his quarterback isn't as good as Cousins, he was already producing in spite of Mitchell Trubisky last season, Blake Bortles and seasons before that. So I think that no matter how you slice it, there are a bunch of different ways you can build arguments for and against wide receivers like these. So on that note, how do you break ties in that third to sixth round range where we're dealing with these great but not quite elite receivers?
1: Usually the way I'm breaking ties for the most part is I'm trying to plan out stacks. I'm really big on stacking in best ball. So I think, uh, you know, obviously this, I probably haven't drafted a quarterback yet at this rate, but I think planning ahead and kind of being like, okay, like the way that, if I map my draft out a little bit, you know, again, we talk about structure. You know, these are maybe some quarterbacks I, I think I can get a little later or some quarterbacks i like to draft a little later I like to try to get a stack so that, that's really how I'm breaking a lot of these ties you know certainly I think that there's players in this group that I, that I would favor or I'll look to avoid but um again ultimately I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to stack it with at least one of my quarterbacks if not both that's what's going to break the ties probably a lot of time for me you know like last year had a lot of Lamar so I had a lot of Hollywood Brown uh also had a lot of Cam Newton so I had <laughs> but I had a bunch of but I had a bunch of DJ Moore you know what I mean like I, I'm yep. trying to I'm I'm trying to keep that relationship.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, who do you think is the best value in this group? I'm looking at Amari Cooper in ADP at the beginning of the third round, down to say Devontae Parker in ADP near the end of the sixth round.
1: I mean, I'm still I'm still a, a juju truther. Same. I know that last year was just a disaster, but I, I have to think that that is almost almost all due to the loss of the quarterback and like the complete abomination. In quarterback play that they had come in. I know that a couple of the other guys managed to find success. Deontay Johnson looked decent. Uh, James Washington, like he broke out a little bit. So maybe it's not fair to, to blame it all on the quarterback, but I do think that, you know, having Ben back, resuming that very pass heavy offense gives Juju a chance to ascend once again into the top 12 at the receiver position. Uh, and I feel the same way about Calvin Ridley. I, I really like Calvin Ridley really this year. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a stretch to say that he could outproduce Julio Jones. Probably needs a little bit of help for that to happen, but I mean they, the team lost Austin Hooper. That's a tremendous amount of targets, uh, and especially like high value targets that are going to be leading the offense. So I mean, really, nothing even has to happen for to Julio for Calvin to to do more. And again, you know, first round pedigree. He's been good both of his first two seasons. Uh, I definitely think that Ridley really is a guy who could really break out. I think in a pretty big way this year.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for someone who's on the same career arc that, say, Chris Godwin was on entering last season, Ridley seems like the obvious choice there, right?
1: Yeah, 100%, at least to me.
0: For me, the, the best values in this range are the aforementioned Thielen, assuming you know some level of health. I just can't imagine why he's going so low relative to the the volume we should be projecting for him. I really like Robert Woods, per our earlier discussion about the Brandon Cooks trade. Uh, I assume that Woods' stock is going to start to rise, though, so it'll be interesting to see where he flattens out at. And Juju was on my list as well. Just a clear wide receiver one on his team. The quarterback play should be much improved. I really like the discount we're getting on him this year relative to what we had to pay for him last year. Now, who from this group do you think should be avoided?
1: Well, you we already mentioned A.J. Brown, but I'm I'm avoiding both of the Seattle guys. I do think that they have some utility in best ball just because of the the way that this, the Seahawks play on offense, especially with Russ. Um, you know, long plays are going to happen, big games are going to happen. So, you know, from that perspective, there's definitely utility in owning Seattle wide receivers, just not this high to me. Both of those guys, and I know that you have this in the show notes uh, as like the very next thing, but like uh, you draft either of those guys, like I don't know, they're going to see 110 targets this year. I, I have no idea. I don't know what their target volume is going to look like. I don't know what their role is going to look like in the offense. I know that they're both very valuable uh, to what they bring to the Seahawks. I'm just not positive that they're going to return that kind of value to my fantasy team. I mean, you know, Metcalf is going one spot after Thielen. Like, that is just a tremendous, tremendous difference in what I'm expecting as a fantasy player, uh, owning Thielen versus owning Metcalf. You know, same thing with Lockett and, uh, you know, Bob Woods or, or Devontae Parker. Like, I just don't think that. I don't think that like the 1,200-yard, 10-touchdown season is in the range of outcomes, uh, and it is for a lot of these other guys.
0: Yeah, totally. Now, one guy who does have that within his range of outcomes but I'm still probably going to avoid this season is Kenny Galladay and mostly just for concerns tied to Matthew Stafford's health. Like, I'm worried that if Stafford gets hurt midseason again or can't start the year, that we're going to see shades of what Juju experienced last year with Ben Roethlisberger. I'm a little concerned that we're point chasing with Galladay as well. He had a huge 2019, and typically you don't want to pay for players coming off of those career-type years. Devontae Parker is actually also one who I might generally avoid. I have some concerns about his output if Preston Williams had stayed healthy last season like would Parker still have had that ascendant type year I'm not sure and I, I don't think that that uncertainty is totally baked into his cost although I think to some extent it is and then the only other guy I really don't like in this range is Cortland Sutton and I like the player I'm just not excited about a Broncos offense led by Drew
1: Locke you know what I mean absolutely fair uh I love like I kind of like Drew Lock now. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've <laughs> seen like so many. I've seen so many of those goofy videos of them, and I just like. I just freaking like them. You know what I mean? <laughs> like not even necessarily like in a football way, just like in a John Gruden way. Like I just, I just really like this Drew Lock. You know, like that's how I feel. Like, <laughs> all
0: right, fair enough. Well, let's get back to those Seattle guys that you mentioned because if we're looking at where, say, DK Metcalf is going in ADP, and we start to dig deeper into those later single-digit rounds we run into a lot of those types of wide receivers who may or may not end up as the top target for their team as you mentioned we're looking at Metcalf at 504 Tyler Lockett at 607 or maybe you're looking at Stephon Diggs at 505 and John Brown going at 904 and typically the ADP discrepancies will tell us who the public believes are the wide receiver ones for their respective teams that is not the case though with the Bengals where Tyler Boyd and AJ Green are back-to-back in ADP as the wide receiver 30 and the wide receiver 31. So which of those Bengals receivers would you rather have at that mid-seventh
1: round price? It is one trillion percent Tyler Boyd for me. I mean, I'm a huge Boyd fan. So, like, kind of on its own, like, I'm predisposed to to really like Tyler Boyd. But he's healthy. He's productive when he's on the field. Like, I I don't know. Like, the last two years, I've seen a lot more out of Tyler Boyd. Than I have out of AJ Green. Um, I feel like AJ Green, you're kind of just buying the name. You're buying what he used to be, and you know, I don't know. Maybe he could get back to being like a wide receiver one type of guy for you know some small stretch of the season. But I'm I, like, I have no confidence that this guy can play 16 games. I have no confidence that with all these like lower body type injuries that he is still going to be able to produce at a high level. Uh, And Boyd is coming off of a year where he caught 90 passes, went over 1,000 yards, finished as a top 20 wide receiver with only five touchdowns. Like, I have no reason to doubt Tyler Boyd. Uh, I'd rather just take the discount on him.
0: If I had to make the case for Green, I would look at last season and how many games he missed, right? And I would argue that part of the reason why he never came back and started to get his legs back under him was just because the Bengals were in full-on tank mode, right? They were actively trying to lose so they could get the first overall pick and land joe burrow or Tua or whoever they're, they end up drafting there sure. and so maybe green the health concerns are being overblown a little bit because of that i'm not sure uh but you're right the uncertainty surrounding that situation is really a tough pill to swallow that's it's i'm honestly i'm not really drafting either of these guys where they're going and i also feel obligated to note that your prospect model that we mentioned earlier for wide receivers loved john ross their teammate so maybe there's a world in which he ends up being the, the true prize in terms of value from this group of Cincinnati wide receivers. What do you think the odds are that John Ross could lead the Bengals in receivers in fantasy points this season? Like how would you handicap that?
1: I'd say Ross is probably like a nine to one dog, you know, 10% chance of happening. I, I don't, I mean, again, Rick like Ross has been another guy like can't really stay healthy, but has been decent when he's been on the field. He's like, he's definitely shown in spurts that he can be a good player and maybe with a better quarterback like those skills fl- you know flash to the top but there are still two other guys there so i just think it's really difficult to expect him to do it in 2020 i think what you're really hoping for if you're like in a dynasty league or something like you really just want ross to show enough that he can that he's a player so that in 2021 when green is gone because i'm sure that'll happen you know ross can step in and be and be a real producer all right, let's dig a little deeper into this range of guys.
0: Um, who else are you buying in that range of wide receiver 26 to wide receiver 36? And I'll, I'll rattle off the names here for the listeners uh, Debo Samuel, end of the sixth round, Terry McLaurin, Michael Gallup, T.Y. Hilton, Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, mentioned those guys, Jarvis Landry, Marquise Brown, Julian Edelman, Will Fuller, Christian Kirk, down at the end of the eighth round, 809. So that's kind of the range we're looking at. Those are the wide receivers we're looking at.
1: Who do you like? Yeah, I mean, Gallup was the wide receiver 18 last year in points per game. I kind of feel like we're all just forgetting that. So I'm I'm definitely on Gallup. And he's, like, ideally made for best ball. But the way that he scores, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, not ideally made for best ball, I guess. But just, I think, way too good of a value. Jarvis Landry, again, a, a wide receiver one last year. With Odell Beckham on his team playing every game, like, I, I, don't, really, I don't really know what, what else we're looking to get from Jarvis Landry before we kind of just start buying. Uh, and and Boyd, who we just talked about, I kind of like that trio. Yeah,
0: Gallup for me is the, is the number one guy from this range to be targeting. The Dallas defense should be worse. I'm hoping they'll throw more with Kellen Moore calling all the plays on offense this season, and it doesn't seem like Gallup's opportunity will be that much different than say someone like Calvin Ridley, who we discussed earlier. But Ridley is going four rounds earlier. Like that, those two things don't line up for me. Uh, The other guy I like in this range is T.Y. Hilton. I'm hoping that he can get back on track with Phillip Rivers under center. He has that big play, best ball type of profile that we'd like to see. And I like the injury risk discount that we're getting because we know he has top 15 wide receiver outcomes in his range, right? You brought up Landry, and he's an interesting one for me because he's the type of player who, like you said, doesn't have that profile that you necessarily want from your best ball receivers, A guy who is stacking up a lot of small gains to accumulate like a floor of points rather than hitting a bunch of high upside big plays uh, to spike weeks. And so if I had to pick someone to fade from this group, it might be him because I worry about his volume being impacted by Austin Hooper's addition to the Browns. And I think that there's a potential for that offense to be more run heavy. Anyway, though, I, I do acknowledge the fact that if you need that compiler-type player, if you want somebody to establish a floor at wide receiver, Jarvis Landry is the perfect type of pick for that. So I, I can't fully get on board with fading him or, or really any of these guys, but who is it for you that kind of stands out as, as someone to avoid?
1: Is it just A.J. Green again? Definitely Green again. Uh, I'm also fading T.Y. Hilton. Like I'm just not really sure that he's like still alive as a fantasy asset. Totally I- fair. And I know that they brought in Phil Rivers, and that's awesome. Is he still alive? Yeah, right, we don't. Exactly. We don't know, right? We don't know. Like it's kind of like Schrodinger's offense right now in Indy. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just not really looking to pay that kind of price for Hilton. And honestly, I I'm not big on Debo Samuel here, just because he's. And again, I think the talent is there. He's he's obviously has shown us a ton. I'm just it, it, kind of similar to how I feel about A.J. Brown. Like, I, I just don't know where the volume is coming from. This is a really run-heavy offense. Samuel could probably, will probably have games in spurts, but I don't really feel comfortable enough with the expected volume uh, and the weekly range of outcomes to say that I would rather have him than, like, you know, Terry Mack, you know, Gallup, those guys. So
0: I like that we disagree on Hilton and on Landry because it shows you how you can look at wide receivers in this sort of format. There, there are a lot of different ways to... To slice that onion you know what i mean and um anyway the next range of pass catchers in adp includes a lot of the top pass catching prospects from this year's rookie class and i want to dig into some of those with you next tyler johnson popped in your initial modeling of the rookie wide receiver class and even though he slid in your more recent refinement of the model he does remain above some other notable rookies like jerry judy brandon Ayuk, and jalen Raygor. But the expectations for where Johnson is going to be picked in the NFL draft are really dubious and pessimistic for the most part. So what sort of value does Tyler Johnson have for you in best ball right now? Is he even a player you think should be picked in every best ball
1: draft? Probably not in every draft right now, just because we're not sure where he's gonna be drafted. I mean if he's drafted on day three, like just shut the whole thing down, you know, like for year one especially, like I just couldn't really get behind it. If he gets picked on day two, like, all of a sudden, I think I think we are talking about him being a guy that you want, that, like, should at least be drafted. You know, we're talking, like, a top 200 overall kind of player. Like, I think that that's reasonable. So which
0: rookies along those lines do carry that distinction? The guys you think from the wide receiver position should be drafted in, in basically all of these best balls?
1: Pretty much all the guys that I think you can lock into the first two days of the draft. So Judy Ruggs, Lamb, T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, Loviska Chenault. Justin, uh, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Rager, Ayuk. Like, I think that's probably the group. But, you know, any of these guys that I think as we're as approaching the draft, like, oh, like, he's definitely going to go in the first three rounds. Like, I, I think those are guys you should probably draft.
0: So in terms of Tyler Johnson, you're saying it's less about, you know, the actual landing spot, which team he ends up on versus when he goes in the draft. Like, how high would he need to go? He would need to be drafted on day two for him to hit that, you know, should be picked in every draft level of uh, value?
1: Yeah, I'm usually looking for guys that are top 100 picks, and if and if it doesn't happen, I, like it almost doesn't matter to me the rest of it. Like if he's a if he's a top 100 pick and he ends up on the Cardinals, we, and you're and you're like, oh crap, like Hopkins, Kirk, they just drafted Isabella. Like I'm not really sure I see the targets, but like at least you know that they think he's good. Whereas he ends up on the Packers, but he's drafted in the fifth round, and you're just like, okay, well. Every team passed on him four times, and then the Packers took him in the fifth round. Like, I I don't know, like, if I really believe that he's going to even get on the field, even though I think he's a good player, you know? So for me, I'm really trying to base all that on draft position.
0: Fair enough. So are there any rookies in this year's class that you are actively targeting in best ball, or is this another situation where you might throw a dart here and there on different guys just to get some exposure, but you're really waiting until the draft to sort out the landing spots in the draft capital? What's your stance on the rookies?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely a shotgun situation. I mean, I do think that I do think that Higgins probably represents the biggest value for me, just because I have him as the highest success rate in my model, and uh, he's not being drafted really anywhere near that. I mean, a bunch of these guys are kind of clustered in ADP, so it's right. I think it's easy to like take that spread approach when the draft kind of lends itself to that.
0: Yeah, I guess that. Would be my default stance with these sorts of players in general, just because there is so much unknown around them. But I was, yeah, if um, if there was one that you were really hammering, that was what I was more curious about. And it sounds like that's T Higgins. So uh, good note there for the listeners of the veteran players going in the double-digit rounds. Who are your favorite wide receiver targets?
1: Yeah, so I'm assuming that the ADP on Brandon Cooks is going to come up. Yeah. So I'm going to say Brashad Perryman at the top of round fourteen. You mentioned before, like, the late career breakout. Like, he did look really good last year, especially at the end when he was by himself. Was a first-round pick. Definitely has pedigree. And this is kind of a spot where I'm not really sure that the Jets can bring in enough players for Perriman to not see, I don't know, at least 80 or 90 targets, but probably over 100. Uh, They're going to have to throw. They're not very good. Really, the only other established player in the offense is Jameson Crowder. Anyone that they draft, Probably is going to take a little bit longer to get up to speed on the offense just because of, again, like we're not really sure what's going on with training camp and all that stuff. So we have kind of like a, a guy who's a long playmaker, and he's going to see a decent target load, and you're not really paying that much for him. So I, that's kind of a good pick to me.
0: One of the guys that I'm really interested in, and I haven't actually ended up with him in that many drafts yet, is Marvin Jones. He's going near the end of the 10th round, so just barely inside this double-digit window that we're looking at. But he's another reason why I'm willing to fade Kenny Galladay, because I see the discrepancy between where Galladay is going and where Marvin Jones is going, and I just can't get behind it. Like, all the concerns I have about Galladay and his quarterback situation with Stafford— Those concerns are baked into Marvin Jones's cost. And we've seen him produce at a high level before and deliver those spike weeks we want to see in best ball. Why do you think he's going so low
1: while Galladay is going so highly? Haven't seen him in a while, right? I mean, he's hurt down the stretch. Quarterback was hurt down the stretch. Like Marvin Jones, and then it was the same way last year, by the way. like Last year, I was drafting a lot of Marvin Jones because there was like that maybe like two or three-round discrepancy. Now it's like a five or six-round discrepancy between these two guys. And they still haven't really produced that much differently, with the exception of when one's been off the field. So I'm with you. I'm a definitely a Marvin Jones stan. Uh, he's been really good. He's delivered the spike weeks, as you mentioned. And I kinda think Stafford's gonna come back with a vengeance. I mean Stafford was excellent last season. He was great. So I don't know, like what are we what do we think is gonna happen? That that's not just gonna happen again and Again, like at this wider range of draft discrepancy, they don't have to even be super close. They just have to be close enough, especially in targets, for uh, for Jones to pay off and for him to be the better value.
0: What about another one of your all-time boys here, Curtis Samuel, going in the middle of the 11th round? I know you were high on him in the past. Are you buying him at his current cost in best balls?
1: Probably not. I do love Curtis Samuel, but you know who I love more? DJ Moore. So <laughs> I kind of think that now that they brought in... Robbie Anderson I don't think they're going to trade Samuel like people have said I just think they want to have a good offense and a good supporting cast for Bridgewater I just think that him and Anderson are going to chop that wide receiver to like 2A 2B thing up to a level that I think is going to prevent Samuel from producing like weekly value
0: yeah that's fair enough now another two players who might be cannibalizing each other like that are the second and third guys in ADP for the New York Giants Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate Darius Slayton uh, came out of nowhere last year, and he's being drafted as the top Giants wide receiver. And you know, based on what he showed us last year, maybe that's correct. But I'm looking at Shepard, I'm looking at Tate in this 12th round range and thinking, why can't one of these guys be the top Giants receiver? Do you think that's possible? Is this a situation that might be easier to project that for than, say, the one with the Bengals we were looking at earlier with John Ross? I mean, I would
1: say it's probably even likely. I would say it is likely that one of Shepard or Tate will be the top receiver in the offense. We see this all the time with these UDFA guys. Like they come in. uh, I I mean, I shouldn't say all the time, but like we see these UDFAs come in and they do well. And it's like, they still have to do it three more times before anyone actually believes that it's real in the NFL, not fantasy guys. Like they're actual NFL team. And this team just paid big money to both Tate and Shepard. So you know that those guys are getting on the field pretty much every opportunity possible. And, uh, I thought, I mean, I thought Tate especially was pretty decent last year. He had a couple of big weeks, uh, so you get him in the fifties at receiver. I really like that. I mean, I'm not even really like a huge Shepard guy, but I think at receiver fifty, you'd at least think about it. So I kind of like buying both, probably not together in the same teams, but I think again, like kind of mixing that up. I really like that. Maybe the most likely scenario is that Evan Ingram, if he's healthy, is is like the actual top target. But I think that both of these guys are probably going to return value at these at these prices.
0: Yeah, that's the way I've been approaching it as well, is I'm willing to draft both of them, but not necessarily on the same team. And Shepard is the one I've ended up with more frequently. Again, I'm leaning into the age difference when I make that distinction. And it's, it doesn't always pay off, but I will almost always, when things are close, gamble on the younger player, especially if the production has been similar. And if you look at their game logs from 2019 with Daniel Jones, there, there's not a whole lot of differentiation between a player like Sterling Shepard and a player like Golden Tate. I think either one of them could do a fair you know, poor man's approximation of what Jarvis Landry gives you uh, for much higher in ADP. And you're getting these guys at a pretty steep discount. The other players that I continuously find myself looking at, I'm not always drafting them, but the the guys who are always tickling my fancy in these later rounds at wide receiver are the, the prototype best ball types, right? Deshaun Jackson, Kenny Stills, DD Westbrook. Jackson's going in the 14th. Kenny Stills is going later in the 14th. Westbrook's going down at the beginning of the 17th round. These guys all have big play potential on any given snap. And, If they deliver that in enough weeks, that's going to make them viable picks for best ball. And the thing I especially like about Stills is even though that receiving core is getting more and more crowded, it's not like Will Fuller, like I said earlier, has been a picture of health. So I do think there's a world in which Stills smashes his ADP while Fuller gets hurt again. And we're doing the same old song and dance there. What do you think about these three guys? And is there one that you necessarily like more than the others at their costs?
1: I mean, well, d seemed like he was, like, the straw that stirred the drink last year. Like, he, yeah. he just looked great when he was on the field, and then he was off the field, and they looked like a disaster. So, Philly is a team where I kind of want to see what they do in the draft. That's probably why Jackson's going so late. So, I think drafting him now is fine. I do want to see if they end up getting, like, a Henry Ruggs in the draft, who would be, like, your d replacement, essentially. Sure. But if that doesn't happen, I mean, he's going to have his role, and he's going to be going deep and, and, you know, making those best ball kind of plays. Uh, I'm not really a D.D. Westbrook guy. I think that Jacksonville is like a real threat to draft Jerry Judy at nine. I mean, this is a team that gave 190, maybe it was 191 targets to to Chris Conley and D.D. Westbrook last year, and they didn't really get much back out of it. I think they they need a guy to pair with D.J. Shark for for Gardner Minshew, and I can definitely see it being a guy in the top ten or maybe high in the second round. So Westbrook, to me, I don't, I'm not sure. I see like necessarily like the big, the big weak upside that you see. But I could certainly get behind... I mean, listen, if you you don't think they draft receivers, like there's probably going to be some volume there. So i definitely buy that. And I'm just like a mega still shooter, So he's always in the mix for me.
0: Yeah, Westbrook for me is more just based upon the cost. Like 17th round is effectively free. Like that's where you're drafting defenses. So if you need a wide receiver in that range, like you said, because he has that potential opportunity to hit volume, because right now he is the wide receiver too on that team. Like I don't think it's Chris Conley, especially now that Foles is out of there. I think Westbrook is undervalued in general, and that's why I'm willing to take him there. Jackson is Deshaun Jackson is the one I keep ending up with the most out of this group, just because, like you said, when he played last year, he was excellent. It seemed like he was one of the driving forces behind that offense. I hadn't really considered the possibility of them drafting a wide receiver, so that's going to scare me off a little bit going forward, but I still like the potential of Jackson there, uh, maybe while the rookie gets up to speed. There's probably still enough action for him there, and honestly, them drafting a rookie might be the best thing for him to kind of Get the most out of his snaps, if that makes sense. Um,
1: it probably has to specifically be rugs for it to like really hurt him, because they have no receivers. Like their receivers are terrible.
0: Well, that that brings me to my next question: JJ Arcega-Whiteside. I, I I see the same sort of potential volume uptick for him, but he was just such a zero last year in terms of fantasy. Like I don't know if there's any way we can trust him. We can also say the same thing about Andy Isabella on the Cardinals. Which one of those two do you think is a better late-round dart throw in 2020?
1: Yes, I mean, I, I I literally, like, just took him last week in the Dynasty draft, and it is our Sega wide side for me. Has to be, right? It, they, they just have no receivers. Supposedly, like, now what they're saying, like, what the GM's saying, and stuff is that, you know, he was hurt last year, he been on an injury, that's why he wasn't producing. Because, like, before that, I'm looking at this and like, geez, this guy just got outplayed by Greg Ward? Like, that can't be good. <laughs> that's not good. You know, like, that's probably a bad sign. But I'm trying to be a little more – I'm trying to, like, reflect on this and 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 say – and this is probably almost only because I have him on a team now. It's just, like, I'm looking back I'm like, okay, listen. Like, he was – you know, I gave, he had a 26% hit rate. It didn't work out in year one. Like, we still like the profile. We still like the potential volume. He still – it doesn't cost you anything, like you just said. It just costs you a roster spot. Why not JJR Sega whiteside You know, like, Alshon Jeffrey is, like – if his body is decaying every time he takes a snap on the field, like and none of these other guys are any good, so and like him and Jackson aren't, they don't line up in terms of role anyway, so they don't really affect each other to me. Maybe this offense all of a sudden just like plays better, and Whiteside takes a step forward, and and he's pretty good. Maybe not like a thousand yards good, but eight hundred yards and seven touchdowns or something like that. Like he's that was like the one thing he did really well at Stanford was score, so like. I don't know. I think I take that at that at that price.
0: Yeah, it's just an easier path to opportunity than Isabella, who was already in a crowded wide receiver group, and they just added DeAndre Hopkins, who's going to command just a a load of targets. Like there's no way Isabella is going to get the same median projection of opportunity that JJ Arcega-Whiteside is going to get. Um, so let's pit Arcega-Whiteside against another rookie from last year, Nikhil Harry. Which one of those two would you rather have in a best ball?
1: Oh wow that's really hard i mean Whiteside is way cheaper right like I, i'm like yep. like rounds cheaper so i'd probably just take him just because harry like you have the quarterback questions like edelman's still there i don't know i mean i i think that there's a i think there's a chance that like harry is actually a good player and still can't produce just given the circumstances kind of surrounding him so i i'd probably still go with our, our sega white side
0: yeah, I think the, the potential for opportunity might be even better for Harry than it is for Whiteside because, like you said, there, there just isn't a whole lot else there going on with the Patriots. I mean, Edelman is still there, but we, we just don't know enough about what that offense is going to look like. I think I would rather take that more unknown upside risk on Harry, even though he is going higher, but it's it's close. Like Considering cost, I wouldn't feel strongly about one or the other necessarily, and for that reason, I think you are right, probably just to go with the cheaper guy. What we saw from Arcega-Whiteside last year was just so disappointing. Whereas we just didn't see anything from Harry, and that leads me to believe that he still might have it. You know
1: what I mean? Sure. Yeah. No. I mean, and again, like injuries, right? Like he missed most of the year, so it's hard to it's hard to like have a a real read on kind of who he is right now.
0: All right, that does it for everything I got on wide receivers, Anthony. Let's move into tight ends and. I want to give a disclaimer at the top of the section that it's tough to give catch-all best ball advice on tight ends because the FFPC has tight end premium scoring. It makes a really big difference compared to best ball 10s. Tight ends get drafted later in best ball 10s because of this. It impacts the position's win rates. For example, despite being a first-rounder on average in FFPC leagues last season, Travis Kelsey had the 7th highest win rate among tight ends. So he was drafted highly. He still delivered in terms of win rate. Like, that's pretty uncommon. You're not going to see that in best ball 10s. Even at his lower ADP in best ball 10s, he couldn't crack the top 12 in tight end win rate. So again, for emphasis, tight end premium scoring does make a big difference when it comes to discussing these players and their values in drafts. With that said last season still offered up a lot of late round value at the tight end position in both best ball formats. 10 of the top 12 tight end win rates in best ball 10s were drafted in the 7th round or later, and 8 of the top 12 were drafted in the double-digit rounds. At the FFPC, 9 of the top 12 tight end win rates were drafted in the 7th round or later, and 8 of the 12 were drafted in the double-digit rounds, same as best ball 10s. So I think we can blame some of that in part on tight ends, onesie nature right you only need one starter per week and with that in mind it can make some sense to avoid spending on those premium commodities at least in a certain percentage of your best ball drafts like you don't want to make sure you get Travis Kelsey in every best ball 10 right it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because there you know the value is going to be there later to some extent and while the win rate data proves the top options have value like we just talked about I would argue that a large majority of your drafts should still emphasize the late-round tight end drafting because uncertainty in the market routinely generates these strong late-round values at this specific position. Do you agree with that, Anthony?
1: I'm not sure I do, actually. Now, again, I think it really depends where you draft. Like, I don't do a lot of FFPC, so the ADP on all these guys is not, like, juiced up like it is uh, for them, and obviously that, that's, that's reflected by the scoring. But I, I like being able to just draft two tight ends and be done with it. Like I'm just like not sure if the value like does the cost of the roster spot for drafting a third tight end cancel out the added points? Like I'm I'm not am not positive. Like I like I I have mixed opinions because I just think it changes every year. Like this is not a position where you, I think you can have the same approach every year. You know I mean last year we had Waller sure. come like basically out of nowhere. Like I would say like Waller, Andrews, Hooper. Even Jared Cook, obviously Higby, like there were a bunch of guys that were drafted late last year that produced. But now I'm kind of looking at the tight end board this year, and I'm like, oh, there's like a lot of really talented guys at this position. Uh, so maybe I am a little more willing to wait than I have in previous years. I do like, but I just do really like having one of these studs. I, it probably depends on how on how the ADP shakes out because like at the four for four ADP, obviously that's like inclusive of all this stuff. It's averaged, yes. Right. So like all like the ADPs of some of these guys, it's pretty high. But if you're playing in, like, a best ball 10 or, you know, just please, like, let us get draft back in some respect. And a guy like Higby is, is like, a eighth-round pick, ninth-round pick. Like, I can get on board with that. I really like Tyler Higby. You know, I really like Kevin Ingram. Like, these are the – like, Ingram the guy we were drafting last year in the, in the fifth round and going later. So maybe maybe I am a little more willing to wait at the position. But I would like to have, like, one of those top few guys – uh, you know, when possible.
0: Yeah, and I think one important distinction we need to make here is that you can still draft the late-round tight ends as your tight end two, to go with your Travis Kelseys, your George Kittles, your Zach Ertz's, right? You can draft a stud, and you can still go get value in the later rounds, right? You're getting that flex appeal with these tight ends. If you manage to hit on two of them, let alone three, like you, you're really going to smash that portion of your roster. And if the rest of your roster performs pretty well, then you're going to be in a good spot. But but either way, I wanna start our player specific analysis at tight end in that in those bottom tiers, right? Because we all know who the best guys are and we all know who the middle tier is. I wanna know who your favorite values are outside the top twelve tight ends. So if you pull up uh the tight end ADP at four for four, that average list, you're gonna see Mike Gasecki right there at tight end thirteen. From him starting down, who do you like the most? Who do you think has the best value this season?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a Gasecki fan, but there's like some impressive value, I think, at the position. Uh, and again, this is kind of why I'm considering maybe changing my stance. Like, I really like Jack Doyle. Like, uh, again, like Eric Ebron isn't there anymore. Like Rivers, I feel like if he can do anything, it's probably like check the ball down to his tight ends and his running backs. Uh, so Jack Doyle, tight end 19. Maybe it doesn't have like the weekly upside portion of the tight end that you would want. Like, I just think that his floor is probably a lot higher Than where he's being drafted right now. Uh, So for that reason I buy. And the other two guys that I like. Who I think are more in the upside category. Are uh, Chris Herndon on the Jets. And Jay Sternberger on uh, Green Bay. Kind of for similar reasons. Like again these are younger guys. Herndon two years ago looked really good. uh, In his rookie season. Uh, We haven't seen much of Sternberger yet. But these are both players that I would expect to have considerable roles. In 2020. And uh you know, have have been afforded at least average quarterback play, I would say. I mean, I guess Sam Darnold's a little up in the air, but I tend to think he's probably pretty good once the structure around him gets a little better. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is not as good as he used to be, but usually getting targets from him has been has been a good thing. And and their receiver position has been uh, a mess. I would say even if they draft a the receiver this year, Sternberger is probably going to end up being uh, hopefully like the third target, maybe like a three B kind of a situation. Uh, So I like both of those guys, Uh, and again, they're really just kind of costing you a roster spot.
0: Yeah, Jack Doyle's a great call. He was on my list as well. And I like all the guys who were going around him in ADP. Blake Jarwin just ahead of him, and right behind Doyle are Hayden Hurst and Eric Ebron. I think Ebron offers that spike week potential. We've seen him do that over the past couple years. Uh, Hurst is moving into that Austin Hooper role in Atlanta, in theory. And while I don't like to project the exact same stats for a different player... I think the opportunity should be slightly similar. I am curious to see maybe Atlanta ends up running more and that could end up siphoning targets away from the tight end. So I'm not as high on Hurst um, as I am on the other three, but yeah, Blake Jarwin, Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron, probably my favorites. I really like the Jay Sternberger call, uh, mostly because of how cheap he is, the tight end 26. I'm not sure I'm on board with Chris Herndon. Is this just a a post-hype buy for you?
1: Yeah, he was someone that I really liked last year. And I'm just, like, not – I'm just not sure his situation has changed that much. Like, he had the suspension. Quarterback play really wasn't there last year. You know, I mean, he didn't even get on the field. He only played one game. So, it's, like – like, I kind of just feel like 2019 was just, like, a lost year for him. And I'm hoping that in 2020 he can kind of get back to where he left off as a rookie.
0: Fair enough. Now, let's get back to the top of ADP. I, I'm glad that we started with these low-end guys because that way we kind of contextualize what your looking at if you wait at the position, right? You're you're not really getting sure things. You're you're taking risks in one way or another. So with that in mind, how often are you ending up with those elite guys? And for the sake of this discussion, let's just limit it to Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz. Those are kind of the known, quote-unquote, sure things in best ball drafts. What percentage of your leagues do you think you're going to end up with at least one of those
1: guys? I want to say like 15%. Uh, Like, last year, that number was way higher for me, but now I'm kind of like, I have more to give up from my perspective, just because I am looking to have, like, these receiver-heavy drafts, so, like, to take Kittle, I probably have to pass on, like, a Julio or a Godwin, you know, last year, that was not the case, you know, to take Ertz, like, I'm passing up on, you know, Odell or Juju, like, you know, players that I really like, so... Uh, and obviously, like if you to take Kelsey, you're you're passing up on like basically every receiver, outside of like the top two. So uh, I'm probably a little less likely to grab those guys than I have in the past. But again, I, I do like to have exposure to them just because when they do have that big year, like when the tight end has the monster year, it's resulted in in, in winning. You know, <laughs> and that's uh that's something I want to always have some exposure to.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Now it is worth noting at this point that Kelsey and Kittle are starting to separate in ADP from Mertz. Ertz is going much closer to Mark Andrews and Darren Waller than he is to Kelsey and Kittle. Uh, Ertz is in that end of the third round range or beginning of the fourth round. Do you think that he deserves that increased shade this season,
1: Ertz? Probably not. I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what the guy's done. I mean, the last two years, he's been exceptional. I, I think last year we saw some fall off in, in like total yards. But again, like the whole offense did a lot worse last year. Like Most of his... Drop off, I think, is probably a result of like the nine percent decrease in catch rate, because the targets were for the most part still there. And again, like that kind of happens when like there's no receivers around you. So like I, I think the volume is probably still going to be there for Ertz I completely understand. Maybe we have some injury concerns, and I probably agree that like ultimately he's not on the same tier as a Kelsey or a Kittle. But I'm not positive that we should be drafting him with these other guys. I mean, Mark Andrews is like not even a full time player on his own team. I kind of struggle to take him over a guy like Ertz.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I I think Ertz does deserve to slide, but with that in mind, I also think that Kelsey and Kittle should be drafted lower than they go on average. Like They they go a little bit too high for me. I, I agree that because of who you have to pass up to take them, I'd rather just wait on tight end. And in the few drafts that I've done so far, I have drafted Zach Ertz in, I think, one league, and I don't have any... Kelsey or Kittle it's not to say I don't want to get those guys but hopefully uh, you know I'll be able to get them at a value at some point as I accrue more of these drafts uh, going forward through the offseason let's get into that kind of tier two of Mark Andrews and Darren Waller because this was the danger zone for tight ends last year this is where you were taking Evan Ingram and OJ Howard and Hunter Henry and while Henry was good when he played and Ingram was fine when he played uh, OJ Howard we we can all kind of skirt around the fact that he was just bad last year. Like This is a a spot in the draft or in tight end ADP where you're taking a lot of risk in my mind because you're not getting a for-sure elite guy like Kittle or Ertz or Kelsey, and you're not getting a discount like you are on all those late-round options we talked about earlier. With that said, you mentioned this earlier, there are a lot of interesting guys in that tight end 5 to tight end 12 range but let's start with Andrews and Waller. Sorry, I got off track there. Which of these two are you more confident can repeat last year's production and maybe elevate themselves to that status of sure thing, quote unquote, alongside the elite guys like
1: Kelsey and Kittle and Hurts? I freaking love Darren Waller. Greg, I, I love this guy. First of all, like, I was saying this to someone a couple weeks ago. How many guys do you think change positions and then end up having 1,100 yards? Like, it it never happens. Like, we see this all the time where these guys, like, doesn't work out in one spot. They play another spot. Maybe they do a little better. They get on the field. They don't just, like, erupt. I mean, this guy had 1,100 yards last year receiving. He had 90 catches. He was the the tight end, too, and he only scored three times. So, like, some of the things that might worry you about Waller kind of already baked into the price because – yeah, like, you know what? Like, they're probably going to draft the receiver in the first round. Like they're, He's probably going to have to compete for targets with, like, Judy or Lamb or Ruggs, one of these guys. Sure, like, that that kind of changes the calculation a little bit. They only had 117 targets last year, like, uh, that's kind of easy to fit in the grand scheme of an offense. Like, I, yeah. I'm not really sure that the Raiders are, like, so overloaded with weapons that, like, all of a sudden he is going to kind of phase into the background. Now, like, obviously... The big thing, the big rub last year was like there were some like discrepancies in production when Hunter Renfro was on the field versus off the field, and we have to consider that. But at the same time, I just think that a lot of that is already baked in to the price that you're paying because again, he was the tight end two, he is in like a, a relatively good position to repeat uh, the volume levels. If he's going tight end five and you're getting like a round or two discount on him, like I, I kind of like that. You know, and I think that he is someone he is someone that, like, I believe in immediately as being a legit player, because when he was a receiving prospect, I really liked him. I thought he was pretty good. The fact that he made the transition to tight end, he did exactly what you would expect a receiver, a tight end to do. You know, he he was really good as a receiver.
0: Yeah, makes sense. I I agree with you. I think Waller, just based upon the more cemented volume, is the player that I prefer between him and Mark Andrews. With that said, the, the upside of Mark Andrews is still there, no doubt. And the fact that they shipped out Hayden Hurst does make me think that maybe Andrews is going to get more opportunity this year, and that's appealing. But again, the price tag on these guys, both of them, is just really not in a range where I want to be picking tight end. I would rather wait just a little bit longer and throw a dart at someone like Hunter Henry or like Jared Cook. Who are you looking at in that tight end 5 to tight end 12 range if you do miss on the top five guys? uh, Kelsey, Kittle, Ertz, Waller, Mark
1: Andrews. Uh, Ingram and Higby for sure. Uh, Ingram, again, like health concerns are there, but when he's on the field, he is like the de facto number one uh, receiving option, I think, for the offense. Uh, has the elite upside, has the speed. The real difference, measurable difference between him and Mark Andrews, I would say, is almost zero. And he's going way later. Tyler Higby, the finish that he had to 2019, it's like the stuff of legends. Like weeks thirteen to seventeen in PPR, 23.7, 18.6, 23.1, 19.4, 22.4. Whew. Obviously, we're not gonna like just take that and extrapolate it over a full season and be like, oh, he's gonna average eighteen fantasy points a game and he's gonna score three hundred and fifty. Like obviously, like you know, we have to have some modicum of like reasonability here. But like, don't tell me what tra- to do, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're one hundred percent right. They, they, but they just traded Cooks. Like we talked about before. Like, I, it kind of makes me feel like they believe in him. They said they were going to run more of those two tight end sets. They did it, so I tend to believe that he is going to be a significant piece of the offense. Does he operate in some similar parts of the field as Cooper Cup? Yes, of course. But I don't know. Like, I, yeah, like is he going to be breaking like touchdowns and having these long catches? Like maybe not. But like, is he going to be like a maybe an eight target a game player, nine target a game player? Like I, I kind of buy that, and I think again you're getting a nice discount. So uh, this is like a good exercise, Greg, because I kind of feel like. uh I started out feeling really good on the tight ends, like drafting them early. And now I'm like, Oh, well, I mean, I'll just take Ingram and Higby at the six, seven turn and call it a day, you know?
0: Yeah. You can make the case for a lot of these guys in the middle and late tiers. And I think that's why the Kelsey and Kittle ADPs don't make a ton of sense to me. Like, I do think they should still go highly and especially in FFPC. I I'm also coming from this with more of a, a best ball 10 lean in, in my personal drafts, So that's coloring my analysis here in, in a very distinct way, but I'm just not the type of player in any format who likes to pay up for tight end because the production is so variable week to week and season to season that I'd almost rather just take the discounts that we're getting on the guys with potential than pay up for the known quantities because the one, the players I want to pay up for are running backs and wide receivers. It's as simple as that.
1: Are there any tight ends that you're outright avoiding this year? I mean, and this comes with the caveat that like at the right price I'll take anyone. Sure. But it, like, in terms of like average draft position, like, I do not understand Hunter Henry's ADP at all. Like, he still has a lot of competition for targets, the quarterback play. I mean, I love Tyrod as much as the next guy, but like, we don't love him because he's like this amazing passer, you know? Well, I mean, you could argue that
0: look at what he did with Charles Clay, right? Like, maybe that quarterback to tight end tendency is going to carry over to LA. What do you think about that?
1: No, that's definitely fair, but I just don't want to like pay for it. Like, I, I don't sure. see what makes him around plus better than the guys we were just talking about. And then I think Noah Fant and Dallas Goddard are just being drafted too high for, I guess, slightly different reasons. I mean, Goddard was productive down the stretch, but again, like if they have any receiver production, Goddard could definitely just go back to not even, not just scoring fantasy points, but like not being on the field. That's like a real concern for me. Noah Fant, we saw some long plays out of Fant last year, but where are the targets? You know, he only had 66 targets last year. Uh, even in the stretch where he was being really productive, he wasn't seeing a lot of targets. High watermark was 11. Next highest targeted week was 8. And then after that, it was just 5. So I, I'm just really struggling to see where the volume is coming in. He may give you some boom weeks just because he does have that long play potential. But I think tight end 11 is uh, paying too much of a premium on that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Fant is one who I mentioned Cortland Sutton being a player I didn't really want Based purely on the team that he's on and the offense that he's in, Fant is, you know, in lockstep with Cortland Sutton in that regard. Like I just don't want to tie myself to to your homie Drew Lock. That's is this... <laughs> now he's my homie. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you said you just like him, man, in, in the John Gruden type of way. No, you're right. Is
1: OJ <laughs> Howard dead to you, by the way? Like, is he dead or is he alive? Like, I I have no idea.
0: I mean, in terms of how I'm drafting, he is dead. Like, I, just, I'm never, I never have the stones to take him when, when it's time for me to take a tight end. I either have one already in that range or I'm waiting even longer. I mean, the real problem is that I like Blake Jarwin so much and I like Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron so much at their costs that the guys between, like, after Jared Cook but before Blake Jarwin, uh, you know, you look at Noah Fant, Dallas Goddard, Mike Gusecki, TJ Hawkinson, O.J. Howard, Johnny Smith, Ian Thomas. I'm just not ending up with tight ends from that tier really at all. That's typically where I'm looking at other positions like drafting my final running backs, maybe picking up a quarterback in that range, because I'm always comfortable waiting to get a tight end later. You know what I mean?
1: No, I totally get it. I have no I have no opinion, so I'm kind of just trying to avoid him.
0: Yeah. I think that there's potential for him to be great. You know, we, we've seen him flash the ability, new quarterback there. The problem is, is that we really seem to see those fears about Bruce Arians and how he uses tight ends come to roost in tampa bay like there was always the argument that oh well the reason he didn't use his tight ends was because he didn't have somebody as good as oj howard when he had oj howard he didn't use him. there wasn't enough shown to me last year to make me confident that just because tom brady is there that oj howard is suddenly going to be unlocked the way we want him to
1: yeah i totally buy all that I, I mean i and i was one of those people last year i was like oh he's never had a tight end as good as oj howard <laughs> yep total l
0: yeah like you said a lot, lot of shares wasted in that range uh, for for both of us i think
1: Brutal.
0: brutal. Any other thoughts you have on tight ends or just best ball strategy in general before we wrap things up here?
1: No, I think I'm good. I mean, this is pretty comprehensive. Hopefully people get a lot out of this.
0: Yeah, well, thanks again for taking the time to uh, jump on here. I've been going for a while. When we jam multiple positions into the same episodes, it tends to run a little long because there's just so much to cover. And maybe I should have planned these out and dedicated a a single episode to each position. But I think it is better to kind of contextualize these pass catchers together to some extent. And there's also just only so many weeks we have before the NFL draft. And uh, next episode's going to have to turn a little bit more dynasty centric and less best ball centric. So with that all all said, I I really appreciate you you taking the extra time to hang out with me, Anthony. It's it's always good to catch up. And uh, yeah, why don't you let folks know where they can find your work, where they can find you on social and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, like uh, Greg mentioned a few times during the show, most of my draft content and, and uh, you know seasonal content is found at Roto Experts. I also do some stuff over at DK Playbook these days, especially since we're under quarantine. A lot of the uh, a lot of the takes can just be found on the 240 characters, whatever the heck it is now, on uh, Twitter Adam mixta. So uh, check that out.
0: Yeah, Anthony is one of my favorite Twitter follows. Uh, The nuggets that he pulls in terms of stats and uh, just observations about fantasy football are always some of my favorite. I mean, there are a bunch of great people out there on Twitter, and and Anthony, you're definitely one of them. I I appreciate all the content you put out there because that's work, man. Like sending out the tweets on a regular schedule, like I don't have time to do that. So I appreciate you doing it. It, it. It makes me a better fantasy player for sure.
1: We gotta get you. The, we gotta get you an intern, man. I mean, you got the you're the four for four. Doesn't have an intern for you yet. I mean, come on, we gotta get on this. I'll I'll talk
0: to the head honchos over there about that. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> uh, thanks again, man. This has been great.
1: Yep, listeners.
0: This episode has gone way, way, way too long. So I'll keep this short and sweet. Follow me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Head over to 444.com. Check out all the great work we have going on over there. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. And like I said just a minute ago, we will be back again next week to preview the NFL draft. So stay tuned for that. Until then, thanks for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. It's a